Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me is our host, Dr. Russ McCullough, and our Menard Family Philosophy and Ethics professor, Dr. Justin Clark. All right. Well, today we're going to do a little Philosophy 101, and Dr. Clark here has lined up the trolley problem, which I first really encountered on The Good Place. You guys watch The Good Place at all? Justin or Jason? Okay, Jason's saying yeah. Yes, I've seen it. <laughs> Justin, have you seen that? I've seen like one episode of it. My wife watched it, I think. Okay, yeah. I, and I didn't watch it all the way through either. I'd kind of like to get back to it. I, it kind of tabled off a little bit, but the first c- couple seasons are awesome. And there is actually the trolley scene in that um, show. So it might be something you'd especially enjoy. I might even be called the tro- trolley episode or something. But um, So we're going to work in some faith and economics and uh, morality into this trolley decision. So... Uh, Justin, take it away. Tell us what the trolley deal is all about. Right. The trolley deal. (laughs) Uh, So the trolley problem is a thought experiment and it's a thought experiment in ethics. And it was made popular by uh, Philippa Foote and Judith Jarvis Thompson. And these are both female philosophers who wrote in the second half of the uh, 20th century. And they're two of the most famous um, ethical philosophers in the second half of the 20th century as well. And the trolley problem is one of the more famous uh, problems in, uh, or w- one of the more famous thought experiments in contemporary analytical ethical thought. So it starts out by saying, suppose you are on a trolley. And Um, For the sake of simplicity, we can say that you are the only person on this trolley, and it is zooming down a hill, and the brakes have gone out. Oh, no. Oh, boy. We got Um, so so loud. I'm feeling the fear, actually, right now. That's not good. And then you look up, and you notice that there are five people on the track. And so, you know, has your situation gotten better or worse when you notice that there's five people on the track? Probably worse, right? Because now you're not only on a runaway trolley, but it looks like that trolley is going to kill five people. Absolutely. And and we can just stipulate that you know that it's going to kill them, right? For simplicity in the thought experiment. They're tied to the track or just helpless little lemmings that can't jump out of the way or yeah some evil economics professor (laughs) has tied them to a track Uh, (laughs) so uh they're tied to the track or and um or you know they're looking the the other direction or whatever and uh you know this is bad five people are gonna die but you Notice that there's this lever on the trolley and you can pull the lever and that will switch you onto a different track. You'll go from track A with five people on it to track B. And track B does not have five people on it. Track B has 
one person on it. Oh gosh, thank goodness. Yeah, and so um, <laughs> the question is, should you pull the lever? And almost everyone answers, of course, right? <laughs> of course you ought to pull the lever. Um, and you know, when we make po ethical policy decisions, we do this kind of thing all the time, right? If you're on a, an airplane or something and it's, you know, you, if you're the pilot of an airplane going down and you can either turn it into, you know, a crowded uh, town square or, you know, a farm that has, you know, three people working on it or something, you know, we think, well, what you ought to do is minimize deaths. And so um, at this point in the thought experiment, you know, usually what happens is you ask your class, what should I do? Should I pull the lever? And everyone's hand goes up, right? Um, yeah. Everyone says, yes, uh, you ought to pull the lever. And if you ask them why you ought to pull the lever, the answers they give are, well, you know, it's one versus five. And these are supposed to be people who are, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, functionally indistinguishable. Um, you know, it's, it's not like, um, yeah. You don't want anyone saying a well, typical you know, assumption in economics. We have equal, equally productive and uh, little lumps of coal. Each person is an equal lump of coal. Yeah. It's not like you look over and it's five uh, random people and your mother's on track B or something. Right. 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 Um, those people and people. Um, so um, at this point, usually everybody says, great, good. Uh, now, since we've gotten that out of the way, I'll know what to do when I'm on the runaway trolley and uh, everything's great. And then we say, okay, uh, now let's change the thought experiment a little bit and see what happens to our intuitions. So now, there you are on the trolley. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, you're not on the trolley anymore. Um, okay. But uh, you are, you can see that there's a runaway trolley. Um, and the what reason you can see that is because you are on an overpass, right? Okay. And the trolley is again speeding towards these five people. Um, and uh, if you, if, uh, it looks like the trolley is going to hit those five people and kill them. Oh no, again, uh, what a bummer. And um, unfortunately this time there is no lever. Um, there is no track B, but um, in front of you, and classically in the literature, this, uh, this is described as the fat man, um, with you on the overpass and slightly in front of you, there is the fat man. <laughs> and you note fat that or fast fat with a fat. T. okay yeah. um you note that if you push the fat man <laughs> off the overpass uh he will uh land in front of the trolley and the trolley will come to a grinding halt uh over his body uh -huh. uh, thereby saving the five people wow okay this was not in the good place the fat man part of this thought experiment so okay yeah. Got it. And then um, I ask the class, you know, okay, how many people think you should uh, push the fat man? Um, and uh, not all the hands go up, right? Um, most people say, like, uh, I mean, <laughs> you're pushing him, you know. Uh, 
And uh, then, you know, I incredulously ask my class, what do you think the difference is between that and what you wanted to do in the first case? Remember all those reasons you gave me about why we ought to switch from uh, and pull the lever and switch from track A to track B? Those are all exactly the same reasons why you ought to push the fat man. And again, uh, I just, in my mind, uh, we're ignoring like probabilities that the, uh, like we know it's certain, we're assuming that with certainty, we know that we push the fat man and we will stop the train and kill yes. the fat man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and you can't yell or, you know, any of the, you know, <laughs> any of that stuff or, you know, some, I have some very altruistic students who sometimes say, well, I'd jump in front of the train instead. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and you go, okay, well, since this is my thought experiment, you can't do that. You know? <laughs> so let's make it the case that you're I'm noticing a lot of similarities between this and an economic model. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so what we try to do is eliminate everything except what we think are the salient issues, you know, right. Yes. Um, right. And uh, almost everyone especially in, you know, in an intro class, um, almost everyone's hand stays down. They think you shouldn't push the fat man. Um, you know, and, and sometimes at this point I'll go, okay, uh, you know, why don't you want to push the fat man? I mean, how is that different from pulling the lever? Um, and sometimes I get answers like, uh, well, it's different to actually touch, you know, to actually it's the pushing that's the difference. And yeah. And then the answer, I suppose, is you've got the action of switching the lever, which is physical, too. You're taking a deliberate action to mow yeah. down the, the single person on track B. Yeah. Well, then I often say, oh, okay, the pushing is the problem. Let's say you don't actually push him. You're a foot behind him, and you have a lever you can pull, and it just drops him <laughs> onto the track. <laughs> then it's, yeah. the, then it's, a, you know, it's a lever again. Uh, yeah. And uh, then people curiously think that you should, you know, you shouldn't pull a lever to drop somebody onto the track to save five people, but you should, if you're on the train, pull the lever and switch to a track that only kills one person. Yeah. You know, and I go, okay, well, let's put you back on the trolley. You know, can you pull the lever and drop the fat man in front of, you know, then? Uh, and, um, you know, point, the, the one thing that just came to mind that is, is uh, that I was thinking I would come up in a different way, but this is similar, like the principle of subsidi subsidiarity, subsidiarity, uh, people that are close to you. I don't know if you know which principle I'm talking about, but basically you have a higher moral obligation to people that are close to you. And in this fat man thing, even though it's a stretch, you've got somebody down the tracks that maybe you have to squint to see if it's a female or a male, but they're somehow more distant to you than the fat man who's right in front of you that you can push. I almost sense that there's a little bit of that going on, but. Uh, I think that's definitely what's operating on people's intuitions when they think like, that's why I shouldn't push, but it's okay to pull the lever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And interesting. uh, interestingly also, uh, one of the things that's, that's interesting is they've done some, uh, some, you know, behavioral responses to this kind of question and more people are willing to push the fat man. Um, when you describe him as the fat man, rather than just 
uh, a person in front of you. Really? Yeah, which actually seemed to reveal some, uh, you know, yeah, some other diabolical in, stuff uh, underlying human nature. Yeah. So, um, what is the point of the trolley uh, problem, uh, or what is the trolley problem? And sometimes I think that people. Uh, get the impression that the problem that we are trying to solve is whether or not we should push, push the fat man or that the trolley problem is uh, um, uh, what we ought to do in cases like this. But I think what the actual problem of the trolley problem is, is that uh, this uh, thought experiment shows that our intuitions aren't consistent. Mm. Yeah, aren't consistent among people or aren't consistent like um, across time for the same person or something? Uh, even in time, I mean, possibly both within, within minutes for the same person. Uh, okay. Definitely across people, right? Uh, yeah, okay. But uh, what's interesting is that people uh, are remarkably consistent with each other about you ought to pull the lever and you ought not to push the fat man. Um, mm -hmm. People are remarkably consistent within each other, but when you ask them to give their reasoning for why you ought to pull the lever, that is inconsistent with not pushing the fat man, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. So uh, it's not even that, you know, well, people are inconsistent and people are inconsistent with, it, with each other. It's that, no, people are inconsistent and they're consistently inconsistent. And, yeah, um, yeah. And of, yeah, so uh, you know, I was going to say some sort of bias uh, working underneath the underneath things there too, and that's some sort of human nature thing with ethics, I guess. Yeah, um, and I, so one of the things that I want to uh, suggest, and that I think actually your comment really hit on um, when you talked about our uh, duties to people that are closer to us. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, so you called it the principle of subsidiarity. Uh, I've called this the principle of permissible partiality. And okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about that on previous yeah. uh, podcasts, yes. You're I allowed like to- And I like that one too. Uh, yes. People who are closer to you more than people who are far away from you. Um, and uh, I think that that's, uh, a strong intuition that we have. And it's probably, you know, a rule of thumb that works really well for us most of the time. Um, yeah. You ought to spend more time caring about people who are close to you because those are almost always the people that you can do the most for, you know? Um, right. And so that might just be written on our hearts. It's just kind of coded into us. Uh, Self-interest, invisible hand, Adam Smith, here we go. The whole yeah. nine yards. We just start to knit the fabric of society together with. <laughs> yeah. And yet we also think that we ought to minimize suffering and that, uh, you know, people should all count the same in our moral deliberations. Right. Yeah. And all three of those things can't all be true. Right. In fact, right. the principle of uh, partiality is a strict denial of the idea that everybody ought to get to count the same to each of us in our moral deliberations. Yeah. All right. Well, that looks like a good spot to uh, wrap up our first half here. And we'll tease uh, 
for the listeners a little bit with, um, we're going to do some um, theological type applications uh, with the trolley problem here in the second half and see what we can bring out on some of these moral questions. So we'll be back in 30 seconds. The Gortney Institute is seeking a graduate assistant. Earn your MBA with full tuition by participating in fun and impactful events. For more information, check out the Gortney Institute website. To ask a question for our mailbag, send us an email at info at gortneyinstitute.org or call us at 785-248-2551. The Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Justin or Russ today. Okay, welcome back. Um, so we're going to shift into a little theology and somehow Justin is going to knit together babies and cannibalism uh, as part of this trolley problem. So I'm anxious to hear what that's all about. And uh, we'll see if there's some thoughts uh, theologically that we can address. So this might sound crazy, but I think that the tro trolley problem has a lot in common with what concerned a lot of early theologians, which is has to do with uh, bodily resurrection and cannibalism. Okay, sounds so, good. Since, uh, according to a lot of theologians, what we were made out of is what we ate and what then the question was well what about cases of cannibalism where somebody who would just eat other people the whole time what would happen in a uh, in a <laughs> resurrection scenario for somebody who had only eaten other people and but wait it gets worse uh, so one of the answers that some theologians get, have get, given... Uh, uh, hold on, time out before yeah. you go there. So when you say resurrection, are we talking like reincarnation resurrection? Are we talking the resurrection of Jesus? Or what, what exactly are, are we referring to? Uh, we are talking about bodily resurrection after the apocalypse. Right? Oh, okay. Um, okay. So the second, the, the new heavens. So we're on a bodily resurrection for everybody. The sometimes called second heaven or whatever, when Jesus comes and it's all over, we're back on the new heaven and the new earth with our new bodies. Yeah, with uh, after the last judgment, you know. Uh, okay, okay, yeah. gotcha. All right, Bodily all right. And so now, what if we happen to have eaten people but still found Jesus 
and now what do we look like or something okay now continue on i think i'm with you yeah so uh you know what happens to cannibals in uh <laughs> after <laughs> after the last judgment and one of the answers was well you know uh cannibals they're gonna have eaten something else other than um other humans so uh that's the part of them that gets resurrected is uh, you know the part of them that wasn't other humans because the other humans parts that they had eaten those are going to go with the original people um who were eaten and then and then a problem that was posed now, this, this when was this debated is, are we talking way back in like you're talking catholic church way back uh, in the or? medieval area uh, okay. era, okay. Um, so I mean, so. from Augustine down to uh, like Aquinas. So we're in the like what does that put us? Thirteen hundreds or something? Twelve hundreds? Uh, well, Augustine was earlier than that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but Aquinas was you know late. And was this from scripture about the what you eat is what you become? Where did that come from? from a theological standpoint. And, and if you don't know, you don't know. I just, I'm curious. That was, uh, it was just considered scientific knowledge of the day that, you know, since we eat food and we grow, um, our bodies, yeah. um, you know, are made of the things that we eat. Because um, I was just thinking of the sacraments, you know, Jesus, the body and the blood, and there's different philosophies. The Catholics are more, uh, and the Missouri Synod Lutherans, myself, that you actually have a, a physical body and blood and transformation that and, and other um, Christian denominations would be more, well, that's just, of course, that would be gross if we were actually eating the true flesh or just eating a symbol of the body and blood or whatever. So that, that's just a little division among the denominations of the Christian church that I'm aware of. But it, it's kind of related to this a little bit that... Um, of course, once you have that body and blood of, of Jesus, then you should be good to go and probably wouldn't make a difference if you were a cannibal or not. But uh, apparently this was hotly debated back in Aquinas' time. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what, I've, what we've just talked about is essentially, uh, you know, just step one. So then the argument goes, well, I guess, I guess that answer works if we're talking about cannibals who ate other things also but what if we have uh people that are exclusively cannibals cannibals and even worse what if two of these people got together and they had a child so a child out of uh a child of parents that were both themselves uh total cannibals what would happen to them then wow Um, even in medieval times you're saying we had total egghead uh academic people arguing because i assume this is a scholarly debate of some sort right among theologians yeah so in the farthest corner of the atmosphere of of knowledge they're trying to squibble over something like that that's that's awesome yeah so maybe (laughs) i should say what i what i think wraps all this up with a, a ribbon here okay um which is that um uh, I actually learned about this debate once from some uh, somebody on Twitter who studies old English history, and you know they provided the receipts with all the stuff in Aquinas and um, et cetera where they were talking about it. But a lot of the replies to that thread were things like, you know, ha ha ha, stupid religious people um, are so worried about. Uh, 
what happens when cannibals have babies or whatever. Like that's really a possibility. Uh, like how much ink are they going to devote to this stupid thing that's not really going to happen, right? And when and God yet, doesn't exist anyway, what, why are we? <laughs> well, maybe we'd throw that in. <laughs> um, so, and you know, you can find some academic philosophers going in for this kind of criticism of how dumb uh, you know these religious scholars were for arguing over that. And one one of the questions was something like, uh, "What do you think?" people will look back on and not be able to, you know, look back on from our era in the same way that we look back on these, uh, you know, zombie baby studies. And my answer was the trolley problem. Uh, look, uh, there have been thousands and thousands of articles written about the trolley problem. And you can imagine someone in the future going, why were all these idiots worried about runaway trolleys? Like, look up the trolley deaths per year. Uh, <laughs> hardly anyone ever died of uh, runaway trolleys. So why were these philosophers arguing about trolleys all the time? And I think that just shows that, you know, these, the critics in both cases would miss the point, which is what we are trying to do is to try to develop a coherent set of ethical beliefs and right. beliefs about the world. Uh, in both cases, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to set up a system of belief that's consistent so that we're not uh, contradicting ourselves. Right, right. And, that... and it, it, it just blew my mind that the people who, uh, the same people who were laughing about the, uh, how ridiculous the baby example was, will go and then, you know, spend hours about the trolley problem. When no, this the trolley same. problem, serious, serious <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Right, but it, it does definitely uh, bring up some interesting insights about how we actually click and tick. Um, and uh, so I guess I was hoping maybe to have you expand on the partiality a little bit more, and then I might throw in a little bit of kind of my angle on that when it comes to policy and stuff too. Okay, um, so I think that we... Um, have ethical obligations to people that are close to us um, in at least three senses. People who are close to us physically, that is, I think you have more of an ethical obligation to people in your hometown than you do to people, um, you know, in uh, Burma. Um, I think we have more in a, of an ethical obligation to people who are close to us emotionally um, than people who are or further from us and to people who are close to us temporally, that is uh, people who are currently alive instead of people who will be alive in the future. Um, and that's actually at odds with a lot of contemporary ethical thought, which says we need to wait. Um, you know, utilitarianism, for example, weights everybody's satisfaction equally and says you ought to do what will maximize uh, everyone's um, utility or happiness or whatever they want to say. Greatest good for the greatest number. Right? Yeah. And it doesn't permit you to be partial um, to people that you are close to for any one of those reasons. And um, I think now the that... utilitarian argument to the trolley deal would be still um, body person for person, like pull the switch, push the fat man. Oh yeah. For sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay. Yeah. 
and everybody's uh, kind of a lump of coal. Um, would it fall under a more utilitarian argument to say, well, that person's a young athletic uh, person on either track B or whatever, or, and the other person's a fit, you know, so the five people are all 75 years of age and older is the five people. And we got one person who's a 23 year old, you know, chiseled steel, super intellect and somehow we know the people or whatever just to throw another thing in i'm just from the two schools of thought uh does would utilitarianism put some sort of unequal weight among people perhaps in terms of how productive they would be for society or whatnot uh sure if you could know that ahead of time then utilitarians would say we need to think about how much happiness we're actually saving by switching you know if we know they're all old people you know um, and it's a young child with a bright future ahead, maybe uh, that young child will have more happiness in their life than the combined five will throughout the rest of their life. Um, so I'm, I'm reading a book right now that's bringing up a little bit of this issue. It's a total fiction book where the, the world's kind of coming to an end and there's, there's not enough um, places on the spaceship to get out of Earth, uh, long story short. And so how do you pick the of the 14,000 people that are there and there's only 12,000 spots, you know, how do you do it? And so my question to you is where does flipping a coin um, enter into the morality of this, that instead of pulling the switch or not pulling the switch, um, you instead flip a coin if it's 50, 50, or maybe it's some other randomization technique. Um, Does that end up being a satisfactory way from a moral or ethical standpoint to kind of take it out of your hands and let lady luck uh, choose? Uh, I think anyone would say, especially if we're just talking about the original trolley where you're on there, you can pull the lever yeah. and you can uh, pull it and switch it to the one person track. And right. if you say, well, I'm going to flip a coin that's say you're a monster, right? <laughs> <laughs> You have the opportunity to save. Uh, it it de- definitely makes you look weak. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, flipping a coin might be something fair to do if um, you're on the trolley, it's going, and uh, you have to decide left or right, um, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an equal number of people on both tracks. Okay. Right? Then you might say, well, then the only thing that's fair to do is flip a coin, right? No, I could push back a little bit and say, let's roll the die. And if it's a one, I pull the switch and switch to the one guy. If it's two through six, I, I'm i going, you know, the other direction, whatever. To basically weight it uh, that way, which is similar, I think, to your 50-50 scenario if there's five people on each side. Uh, I actually don't think that works in the, in the original trolley case, though, right? Because... Uh, it's not that people say, well, you probably should pull it, right? They say, no, it's obvious that you ought to pull the lever. Right. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I know. Yeah. I, um, I guess I was trying to bring in the random, um, the, there seems to be an element of fairness, maybe back to my spaceship example. So what, what the leaders had proposed was that they, um, the, the last, or basically there would be a lottery of sorts. Of course, short, what I loved about it was short of the essential workers, which is so close to what we're doing with all the COVID stuff right now, but the essential people needed for the space travel, which was of course the people designing the ship and the experiment and the leaders 
they'd all for sure have a spot on the ship. But then we got all the other people, you know, which is classic public choice theory of the people in power are going to do self-preservation uh, uh, policies. But um, of the remaining people, then you do uh, basically a lottery. And uh, there seems to be an element of fairness to that, at least. Uh, each human is treated equally by having a, an equal probability of them getting a shot at getting on the spaceship. Yeah, but in that case, right, it's, uh, you know that the total amount of people that you're killing or saving is the same. It just, uh, it's just the identity of the people that you're losing. That's right. To the you're right. Yeah, the outcome yeah. is different with the trolley, with the five versus the one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it would be weird if you said, uh, well, we're either going to let five people on the spaceship or let one person on the spaceship and save. And I'm going to flip a coin to see whether we let five or the one. You know, yeah, uh, but at least with the roll of the die, I, I just keep having to push back a little bit. You got, at least the guy has a chance, a one in six chance of living um, instead of your decision of 100% certainty of you are the dictator of death. Um, I don't know, maybe it makes it a little softer. I don't know if that's, if a person was able to, of course, the trolley speeding down the track, like we don't have time to do any of this crap, of course, but if, <laughs> but if you could start to make a reasoned argument there that, well, at least we give him a chance, even though five out of six chance, he's, we're going to be flipping that switch and he's going to get mowed down. But um, I don't know. So Jason, what are you thinking? I was just going to recommend uh, to Justin, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the show, The 100. Oh, um, I think I've yeah, seen it. I tried that, watching it. Maybe that I show didn't is basically full of the trolley problem so they're they're up in space that's where they're living because because the earth is uninhabitable yes and so I started that show a little yeah bit. so they decide whether or not they're going to send like basically the kids up there that are in juvie down to earth to see if the our world is ready right. for humans to it's live their, it's their second chance or something yeah but then they're running out of air up there and then they have to decide where to shut off air like where people are living and yeah full of the trolley problem <laughs> yeah yeah that sounds good yeah I've, i haven't seen or heard of that but. all right so maybe we ought to put these um jason in the show notes a couple will put the good place trolley problem and uh your 100 if uh, people want to do a little binging uh, after this episode on some philosophy, maybe that'll work. So, all right. Well, anything else for the good of the cause? I think that looks like a good place to, to wrap for today. And it was fun to have Justin bring us through that thought experiment. Um, and we hope that you like what you're looking or listening to. And uh, if you feel so inclined to give us a five-star rating on the old iTunes, we'd appreciate it. It helps us rise through the ranks. Uh, we also have a donate button at the GortneyInstitute.org that you can check out if you want to support the type of programming we're doing uh, for students and, and non-students alike. So other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.